Now that we're back in session for a new school year, you may be wondering about how to better communicate with your kids. On today's episode of Our Young Creators, the podcast number 144, I'm bringing on my friend, Courtney Harris, who's going to share with us some strategies specifically about communicating better with your teens and tweens. Now, this video was recorded previously this summer as part of our strategies for a successful summer series. However, because of the nature of this particular conversation, it's the perfect time to listen as we're back to school and communication challenges may start appearing. What began as an experiment to bring my 11-year-old daughter into my business has evolved into our young creators. A podcast, a training center, and a movement dedicated to equipping kids with real-world marketable skills so that they can fund their own brighter futures. We're here to inspire you to turn consumption time on devices into creation time and use technology as a tool to bond and not bicker with your kids. Join us each week as we share the inner workings of our partnership and bring you stories from guests of all ages and from all walks of life on our quest to nurture and to celebrate our young creators. Today, Courtney Harris is joining us, and she is a life coach for teens and parents. And our topic today is a juicy one. We are talking about communication strategies with our teens and tweens. Courtney, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, Young. Thank you. Absolutely. And Courtney and I met probably at the beginning of this year in a little mastermind that our friend Judy Sway was doing. Mm -hmm. And we met and connected, and I'm so glad to be able to finally bring you on and share with the world all the cool things you are doing. Thank you. Thank you. I feel the same about you. It's one of those things where I, I feel very in alignment with the work you're doing as well. Absolutely. So before we dive into strategies for communication, can you take me back kind of to the beginning and how you got to be doing this work today? Totally. So the short version of the story is that I was my own ideal client. Um, I was a teenager that on paper, it looked like I had everything together. I was on the honor roll and I played sports and I had a boyfriend and I, you know, just kind of looked like on the outside that everything was really together but actually, I was in the process, now I know that I was in the process of discovering that I was a highly sensitive, empathic um, person, and that I also identify as being an introvert. And I didn't really feel like there was a place for me in the world. It just felt like I had to keep, 
I had to keep going in the social world. I had to sort of maintain my grades and all of these things on the outside to get validation. But I had was experiencing a lot of turmoil and confusion inside and went through a lot of depression and anxiety. But I also didn't even have the words or the name for that. I just felt like I didn't know what I was going through. Um, I also struggled to advocate for myself with both my parents and teachers. And I didn't really have anybody beyond that sphere to process with um, until a little bit later. And I started uh, talking more with my college professors and one of my aunts. And I started to actually sort of like, I guess, get the reverse blueprint of who I am, you know, um, later in life as I was a young adult. And so that's that's part of the journey. And the other part is that I've spent 10 years as a classroom teacher and educator. And in this time, I've just seen a massive need for support surrounding social and emotional skills, like many of the ones I mentioned, um, and, and many more than that. You know, students not only that identify as introverts, but students that are facing high expectations for their learning and for their um, school academics, things like that. And so over time, as I saw teenagers facing so much stress, I thought, I really, I need to do something to offer support. So that's the the longer version. (laughs) And there is so much goodness in that, and I want to unpack it for a minute. The first thing you mentioned is that you were going through these things as a teen and couldn't express these things or didn't have the, the tools to be able to express that to somebody else. And then on the flip side, as a classroom teacher, you were seeing these same things and these same themes occur. And I just so appreciate that you saw that as an opportunity to serve the kids who you were already working with and beyond to give them and their parents these tools to start really having better communication with one another. Yes, totally. I was, I was so moved and, because I have the gift of being a relational person. So part of the, you know, I guess the gift part of some of those labels that I use that sometimes felt like they were challenges is that I can build relationships. I can build very strong relationships and create a safe space for young people and for parents to step into. And so as a classroom teacher, I was experiencing that and seeing great results as far as the way that my students were expressing themselves and creating. And so I was an English teacher as well as a social and emotional learning teacher. So I just saw the ways that they were blossoming and thought, yes, I have to run with this. Now, are you still working in the classroom plus doing work outside or how do do you balance your time and your efforts? Um, Technically, yes, but only for one more day. Um, I'm finishing up my school year And I'm not returning to the classroom next year to go full-time in my coaching practice. So yes, I've had, I've been juggling part-time work as a learning specialist and then building my business over this last year. And so now I'm taking the leap. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I guess to answer your second part of the question, how do I balance it all? Well, um, I'm realizing one thing that I can celebrate myself for myself is that I've been very dedicated to my self-care. I truly schedule in a way that I can manage and that prioritizes things like my time to work out or my time with my partner, um, time with my community members. Like I, I run a sisterhood group. And, and so really I block those off and I commit to them and 
then, you know, if I can't take another client or if I can't take on another speaking engagement, I can't until next month or whatever it is. And so really the commitment to self-care has been one of the ways that I manage this uh, two job situation. And I think that's really important to point out to that self-care is not a frivolous thing. It's a necessity, especially as women, when we're, when we are juggling and balancing so many things in our lives, that if we don't take the time to acknowledge our own needs, it's really hard to acknowledge the needs of those around us. Yes. Yeah. So I would love to know in all your experience now, what are some strategies that parents can take to heart and start incorporating with their kids, especially as we move into a time when we get to have more one-on-one time with our kids? Mm -hmm. Yes. So one of my favorite suggestions and strategies is it's nothing that you we maybe have never thought about, but the intentionality is what's so important. So setting intentions with your children or teens. So sitting down and having a full-on brainstorm session that can involve taking out travel magazines or taking out magazines and collaging and almost creating a vision board. Or it could be um, one of my friends that I uh, collaborate with, Sonia Feher. She's a, um, a professional organizer, and she teaches about making a a family fun board with the places that you want to go, the people you want to see, the things you want to do. And yes, I think unless we set intentions and unless we start visioning, then we might limit ourselves to some of the things that are, are more within our routine or the more typical ways that we spend our time. So that's my very first suggestion is visioning together Um, And I guess one thing I'll add to that is if you are working with a child or a teen that when you ask them something like, what do you want to do this summer? And they might just say, I just want to chill. My suggestion there is validate that, you know, ask what that means. Ask what, what does just chilling look like for you? Or what does that mean to you? And let them take up space with their ideas, even as you're also trying to move the conversation towards ways that you can either um, spend time together or towards something that may be a bit more productive. (laughs) Although I'm not going to say that chilling is not productive. (laughs) It definitely has its place. And I'm, I'm giggling a little bit as you gave that example, because when I talk to my 14 year old, I often get answers like that where I just want to do this. And we had the discussion last night about some different vacations we have coming up and what do they want to do? And she just said, I want to hang out. So I will have to ask her now, what does that look like to you? Because anything we can do with our teens and tweens, because those one word responses I find are very commonplace in our house. And sometimes I have to dig a little deep, take a breath and ask a follow-up question or keep asking them until I can get the answer that I need. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's, I mean, you're bringing up, something that I hear so frequently. And so, yes, the follow-up question can be, what does that look like for you? Or what does that mean to you? And um, I think it's interesting because just chilling, if they want to watch movies, how can you take that? How can you go with that? So that's another one of the strategies is instead of trying to take their idea and then shift it to your idea, how can you go with their idea? So how can you say, cool. Are, are you going to start a movie review website? Are you going to, 
um, you know, like vlog about these? Are you in, like, how can you use that interest and roll into it with them? So you can, it's totally fine to offer ideas or ways that they can expand on their just chilling. But, you know, the idea is how can you hear them out and support them towards those ideas that they are bringing, even if they seem maybe basic or sometimes not super thoughtful. <laughs> and it's funny because I think everything that they say, there's a reason behind it. They don't always just want to share all those reasons. And I really love the examples you gave about watching the movies because in the summertime, we love to watch movies and hang out and snuggle up and have some popcorn and then just, just be together. Mm-hmm. But taking that further and asking them, how can they now use that or apply it to learning something new? Like building a blog or a website. Or in our case, can they share their experiences with the movie and share their feedback via a podcast or a video? Because I think part of the issue that I see unfolding in our house is that they want to explore these things like podcasting or websites, but they may not have someone in their life who has those skills. Mm -hmm. So if you were talking to a parent who tells you that their kids want to put together a website or they want to start a video blog or they want to be a YouTuber, what are some advice you might give them in helping their kids explore that path? Well, I, my first answer is actually uh, recently I also collaborated with someone here in Austin, Brooke Turner, who owns a company called Quaddle, and it's basically a hub for parents and as well as teenagers and children to explore all kinds of different learning opportunities. And so really that just gives me the idea of sitting down and doing some research with your child or teen or, you know, asking them, okay, well, if you want to build a website, what steps do you need to take to get there? And, and you know, depending on their age, they might want to do that on their own. They might want to start exploring and looking up what they have to do and what offerings there are in your city or town. And the cool thing is now, because we have the internet, they're so, even if you live somewhere that is, if you're in a rural area, you can access so many of these um, learning opportunities virtually. So engaging in research that is intentional towards their goal is super important. And again, it's that idea of you're giving, you're helping them understand that, yes, they can dream big and they can start taking steps today and tomorrow. And so it starts with the research. Yeah, and research has gotten so much easier. We all have a device, usually attached to our person somehow, mm-hmm. which we can just look and find these things. Yes. And that leads kind of into the next question or the next question that I get asked a lot about how do we have conversations with our kids regarding their technology and the use of their technology? Yes. So I'm a really big fan. I'm glad that you asked this. I'm a really big fan of open-ended questions. So I'll definitely weave those open-ended questions in here. But I like to begin the conversation with questions like, what kinds of cool things are you creating on your phone? Or what kinds of cool things are you creating on the internet? Because truly, if your teenager has an Instagram, has a Twitter, has a Facebook, those are ways of creating. And in my experience of being a writer's workshop teacher, we actually talk about how a lot of these digital modalities are 
their writing, their opportunities to say, I'm a writer and I'm creating and I'm writing. Even playing a video game, so many video games are stories. And so how can we step into that lens of, of framing it as um, an avenue for creation and for creativity? So first sort of starting with that and letting them explore and explain the ways that they're creating because they may not actually be naming it in that way yet. So we can help them do that. And then adding on to that, I like to layer in questions like, um, what types of what types of things feel really you know great to you or good to you about using your phone, and then asking, okay, what kind of things don't feel so good to you on the internet or on your device? And when I asked teenagers this, like the other day, I had a 15 year old boy tell me that he always feels grumpy after he spends more than 40 minutes on his phone, and he recognizes that. So he he notices that there's sort of this line, this cutoff line of, okay, now I took it too far and. I'm starting to feel depleted. So what I'm adding in here is the social and emotional component of letting your children explore what are they actually sensing and feeling and noticing in their body and in their mind as they are on these devices. And then if we do these two pieces, we talk about creativity, we talk about how they're experiencing it in their body and their mind, then it becomes a lot easier and we have a lot more data and they have a lot more data to when we actually come to making agreements together, you know, and agreements are maybe limits to how much screen time or limits on what types of apps or programs they're going to be using. And so if we've unearthed and done some discovery first, we can come into that conversation with our child or our teen already having some buy-in, already having some context. And it's not just that we're coming down and setting limits that they might want to reject. And I really appreciate that you use the word agreement because that's a really important differentiator than setting the rules or giving mm -hmm. them deadlines or whatever it is. Because the way I see an agreement is that all parties come to the table. We negotiate, we talk about what's reasonable, what each side wants, and then we agree on something together. And I think especially for teens and tweens, I'm finding that the more agreements we can create in our household, the easier the communication becomes. Not that it's always easy by any means. However, now we have some better tools in our back pocket that we can pull out and, and say things like, well, our agreement, you know, our agreement, we discussed this. And then asking questions, do you think that you're sticking to this agreement? And right. leaving it to them, because I'm definitely a proponent of wanting kids to self-regulate and be able to understand when they when they've gone too far with something and knowing that that's part of what they're going to deal with as an adult. So being able to do it even as a young child, that's something that I definitely want to advocate for all the time. Yes, you are totally speaking my language for sure. And I'm very much into everything you said. And the agreements, they're truly important. And like you said, there it's two parties coming together and, or more priorities than that maybe, but meaning like parent or caregiver and child. And the cool thing is it does take some weight off of you as the parent to be regulating it. And um, the other thing I want to point out in regards to these agreements though, is take some, give some space to the idea of trying an agreement for one week or trying an agreement for three days. I think sometimes agreements can still feel heavy and can sometimes feel impossible. So if your teen 
has been gaming for four hours a, a day and now you're going to come to an agreement where everyone says, okay, we're going to try one hour. It could feel really hard for those first three, five days. And so reconvening and then going over some of these questions again about how are you experiencing that? What did you notice? That can be helpful and it can help your team know that it's not just a massive mountain in front of them that feels impossible. You know, it's, it's making things manageable for everybody as well. Right. And to have them feel like they're winning in these situations too. And the idea that an agreement can be flexible. I really like that too, because just like I would have an agreement with any people that come to work for me on here's what we all expect. Yeah. There has to be room for some movement because if it's too rigid, that's, I think, when we start to get more of a pushback because then it feels like rules and it's not fair because we have this rule and maybe another sibling has a different rule. So being able to be flexible, which I know is, is hard some days, like some days, like I don't want to be flexible at all. And I know for my kids, there are days too when they don't want to be flexible. But if we can, again, come back to this idea of this agreement and yeah. what, what can we all be happy about? What's going what's to serve all of us and make our time together the most productive and the most enjoyable? Yes. Yes. And as you're saying that last piece, what's coming to mind, too, is that sometimes we may even have to frame it in language such as, you know, what's something that um, would feel workable for you? Or what is, you know, what's um, a limit that you feel like you could live with for the next week? Because it's okay if they don't feel super excited about the limit at first or the agreement at first, but just to acknowledge that, you know, even as adults, there's some limits in the world that we don't love. You know, if you have to be at work at eight o'clock and you really prefer an hour more of sleep, that's still a limit that you have to live with. And we always have to navigate and negotiate. Can I live with this? And, and how long can I try this for? And so if we use that language with our teenagers, we're setting them up for, for success to do that critical thinking to try something new. And then again, as we've been talking about, to come back and sort of assess how it's going. Absolutely. And I think too, as you're you're talking, I was, I was thinking about, I wonder if it would be, or I wonder what would happen if we as parents made an agreement with our kids about our devices too. That way they understand that we're making changes as they're making changes. So we're all going through this process together and it doesn't feel one-sided. I just wonder what would happen. Oh yes. I hear great things from the families that I know that do that and families that agree to having a certain charge station that when you come in the door, the phones go there until they set an agreed upon screen time. Um, So yes, I hear great things about that. So I'm glad you bring that up. That's awesome because now it just makes me curious about what the possibilities are there. And if we extend that past our devices, how many other places in our lives we can start having agreements on. So I'm going to have to get creative because I like this idea about the buy-in from everybody and everyone shares equally. And we all come to a place where we think that it's the most beneficial for everyone. Right. And, and many people listening and watching today may already have, agreements that we just haven't been using that language and we haven't necessarily been 
framing it that way for our children, but there may be agreements that we keep the family room in a certain way. And every day everyone goes through and picks up their things and takes them back to their personal space in their room. And that's an agreement. So to, to share that late, you know, that terminology and that name can actually sometimes be helpful and empowering for both the parent and the child. As we discover that each, each party is super involved and that we want both parties to take agency. And I think it goes back to the first tip that you gave about being intentional. We have to go into this parenting situation as intentional. If we let things just show up and happen, I know that tempers start to rise and there might be some animosity that grows because nobody's clear on what the expectations are or and there's no agreements. So if we start with that intentional piece and look at our summer, sit with our kids give them choices, let them make their own choices, and then we respect those choices too, and vice versa, I think it's going to go so far in helping everyone who is watching today on this live, watching this replay, or maybe even over on the podcast. There's so many great takeaways from today, and I want to make sure, Courtney, that if anyone has follow-up questions for you, where can they go to ask those questions? Awesome. So pretty straightforward. It's Courtney Harris coaching. So Courtney Harris coaching.com Courtney Harris coaching on Instagram and Facebook. And yes, I would love to stay connected. I have some great resources on my blog right now for the upcoming summer. And so I would love to hear any questions or reactions from the audience today. Yeah, I can't wait to see what people are going to ask you and how they're going to connect and definitely go visit the her website, go take a look at all the resources because I know Courtney has a ton of stuff there. And Courtney, if you would, when we're finished with this live, if you would come back and just pop a link to your website and your social media so people can start following and connecting and asking questions when it's right for them, that would be lovely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Young. And I'm, I love the series and let's keep working out these strategies and have a successful summer. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for tuning in today, whether you're watching the live or the replay. We appreciate you being here and tuning in to the series on strategies for a successful summer. So what did you think? Did you learn some new strategies to communicate with your teen or tween? And again, even though we recorded this episode in the summertime, all of the same principles and strategies are relevant during the school year. If you had a takeaway, head over to Instagram and tag me at Our Young Creators, and I'll catch you right back here very soon. Cheers, my friends.